Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here, uh, to be able to sit under your word, to be able to praise your name through worship, to be able to fellowship with other saints. We are so blessed by you. Your mercies are new every single morning. And Lord, I pray that in these next few moments, your spirit would just work and move in mighty ways. I know there are many people in here who are carrying a lot of burdens, who are going through many trials, Lord, and I pray that the truth of your word today would comfort them. I pray that you would use me for your glory and for the church's good. I pray that in everything, your name would be honored and glorified. We pray all this in your precious name, amen. So there's a truth that I recognize is true for almost every single one of us in here this morning. The truth is this, every single one of us at some level are dealing with a situation in life right now that is hard, that is causing us some sort of pain or uh, discomfort, right? Uh, the degree of the difficulty that we're walking through might vary from person to person and household to household, relationship to relationship, but the truth remains the same. All of us are going through a situation right now that we wish we weren't having to go through. We're all struggling with something right now that we wish we didn't have to struggle with. We wish that we didn't have to walk through that season. Over the past year and a half, with everything that's gone on in our nation, many people have lost friends and family and co-workers. There's many financial struggles that many of you probably in here are dealing with. Some of us have wayward children that have ran off and we're just waiting for them to come back. Some people's marriages may be struggling and they feel like they're on life support or some of us are battling sickness or mental health struggles and some of us are battling with our sin. We are all dealing with something. And I know there's at least one or two people in the room who would say, no, 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 I'm in a good season of life. I uh, am just blessed, right? I'm walking by streams of still water. The Lord's been good. And I would say praise the Lord for that. But we do know the truths of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 26 that says if one member of the body suffers, we all suffer. So even if you are doing good right now, you still bear the burdens of the rest of the body. Right? When one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one suffers, when one goes through hardship, we all walk through with them. So I want to say this, whether you're here today, listening online, or you listen some point later on in the week, this sermon is for you. To the one who is downcast and burdened with life's troubles, this sermon was written for you. For the one who needs hope, let this sermon give you hope. For the one who needs to be encouraged, my prayer is that we would be encouraged this morning by God's truth. But why is it? Why is it that I can say we're all struggling and really nobody would argue with that, Christian or not? Why is it that we all would say, man, I am going through something difficult? Why is it that we suffer in this life? Why is it that we go through pain? This is a problem, a question that most everybody will answer at some point in their life. And real quick, before we jump into our text, I just wanted to give you a biblical explanation or a biblical reasoning for suffering. There's really three reasons why we would suffer, at least why I would say we suffer. And the first is this, we live in a fallen world, right? We know that sin entered the world through Adam in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. And ever since then, I've heard it said like this, there has been a cosmic crack in our universe. Sin has distorted everything that God created, right? Genesis 1 and 2, God created it perfectly and good and things functioned how he intended. But now, because of sin, things don't always function how God intends them to or how he created them to. So sometimes, you and I struggle just because we live in a fallen broken world. That's why things like natural disaster strike or we go through sicknesses or there's all these different things that plague us that it's not really anybody's fault. It's just the result of living 
in a broken world. And sometimes we suffer because we sin. Some of us right now are dealing with the hardship of our sin. We're dealing with the consequences of our own actions, right? Sometimes a marriage suffers because two people aren't living out the biblical principles that we see, and we suffer from that. Sometimes life's consequences and hardships are brought on by our own sin, and we can see that throughout the Bible. And the last thing I would say is this, we are sinned against. One of the reasons you may be struggling right now is because someone has sinned against you. Someone has stabbed you in the back, lied to you, looked over you, hurt you, caused you pain. And this is some of the hardest hardships to walk through is when someone else hurts us because there's nothing we can really do about it. But there's three reasons why you might be suffering today. You live in a fallen world, you sin, or you're sinned against. And it's with that I want to turn to Psalm 46 because I have a question for you. Who do you run to when you suffer? Where do you go when life gets hard? What is it? What's that thing that you say, I need this when stuff gets hard? I need to get a hold of that. That'll make things better. What do you turn to? Hopefully Psalm 46 will speak to us and show us where we should turn to. Psalm 46 is a beautiful passage, and hopefully it'll speak to our hearts. It spoke to Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer who helps reform the Catholic Church, Luther knew what it was like to suffer. He knew what it was like to go through hardship. And it's interesting. If you read about his life, you'll see that Psalm 46 played a crucial part in his life over uh, a long period for him. One writer records that Luther had been summoned to appear before the emperor and the Catholic prelates to give an account of this new heresy that he had been teaching called justification by faith alone. And it should be noted that is not a heresy. That is a biblical truth. Luther learned that he was going to have to lay out all his writings and be prepared to recant his teachings. Well, Luther retired to his room to think over what he would do, and that night his Bible fell open to Psalm 46. The writer would go on to say that Luther would go in the next day and he would stand strong on the teachings of God's word and he would not recant, and the Protestant Reformation would go on and on, bringing back biblical truth to the church. Another writer notes this about Luther's life. Uh, later on, he became very ill, and after his sickness, not long after that, the Black Plague came to Germany. And so Luther was faced with this choice. Does he run from the plague, or does he stay and minister to the people's needs in the town that he was in? Well, him and his family, they stayed, and they opened up their house and turned it into a hospital to minister to people's needs spiritually and physically. Because of that, he saw many of his friends die and he was around this sickness. His young son actually almost died from the sickness. Luther knew what it was like to struggle. And it's noted that during that time of the Black Plague, Luther would turn to Psalm 46 for strength and encouragement during such a terrific uh, or horrific time. It was during these hard times in life that Luther was read to write the famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. You may know it, you may not. If you're younger like me, you probably had to read it up and see what it was all about, right? But he wrote this beautiful hymn that was considered the battle song for the Reformation during these hard times, and it's based on Psalm 46. Throughout his life, he would turn to this psalm to be replenished with God's grace and mercy. And that is my hope this morning. That we would turn to God's word and it would minister to those who are hurting, which is more than likely all of us. We would all probably resonate with Ian as he stood up here and said, this has been a hard week. For some of us, it's been a hard year, a hard two, three years, a hard life. 
And my hope is that Psalm 46, by the Spirit's power, will speak to your heart and will minister to our troubled souls this morning. A little bit of context of Psalm 46. Uh, It's funny, the context is actually unclear. Often when we turn to other New Testament writings, we kind of know what was happening. We know why James was saying this or why Paul was writing this. But Psalm 46 is a little more unclear. We don't know exactly what was happening, but we do know some of the general circumstances. The city of Jerusalem has fallen under attack, and this psalm is either written during the attack or right after the attack, celebrating the victory that Jerusalem uh, held because, excuse me, God protected them. The psalm is split up into three stanzas, each stanza's word uh, ending with the word Selah. The first stanza is made up of verses 1 through 3. Let's read the passage together and just delight in God's word for the next few moments. It says this, God is our refuge in strength, a very present help in trouble. Amen, right? Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. That's the first stanza, and then it moves on. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord. He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And God says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And what I hope we'll see from this first stanza, verses one through three, is this, that God is our refuge and strength in every season of life. I, uh, throughout the week, was kind of uh, toying around with that and changing the words because I wanted to try to capture the beauty of this text. And I hope, I probably didn't, but I hope that God's word speaks in these next few moments through this. The psalmist starts by saying, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. And we must remember that this is in the context of a trying situation, right? Imagine your city is being attacked. There's a lot of anxiety and fear and stress and worry that comes with that. So this text is sitting in that context, which may resonate with a lot of you. You may be sitting in a similar situation of pain, of anxiety, of fear of doubt. And so these words speak to those who are in that situation. And from this first verse, we learn three things about our God and how he relates to us. The first is that he is our refuge. God is a safe shelter for his people. We can always run into the arms of God to find shelter and safety from whatever is attacking us, from whatever is hurting us. We can run to God. When God's people run to him, they experience safety and security. Steve Lawson would paint it like this. He would say this word refuge carries this idea of like a castle or a huge building and picture soldiers out there fighting and they need to run away because they're being overwhelmed and uh, they're being attacked and they just can't do it on their own and they run back into the castle. The door shuts and they're safe, right, behind the walls. Well, that's how it is for the people of God. When life is overwhelming us, when our trials are too much, we can run into God's arms. We can run into the castle of God and be safe. 
He says God is our shelter, our refuge. And next, he says God is our strength. When we are weak, God is mighty. When we feel inadequate for what's going on in our life, God is more than able to take care of it. When we need help, when we need strength to get by day by day, God is there strengthening us, giving us power day after day after day. If we're honest, all of us probably have a few situations in our life that we feel unprepared for, right? We look at them and we say, how am I going to do this? How am I going to overcome this? How am I going to walk through this? The good thing is you don't have to do it. You can rely on God's strength to walk with you and guide you and lead you. I love the book of Acts in the New Testament, and what we see in that is the explosion of the early church, right? Peter preaches, 3,000 are saved. There's miracles, there's casting out of demons, there's all these amazing things. And a theme throughout that book is the power of the Holy Spirit moving in the church, right? Everything that the church does comes through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the strength of God. And so the same strength that we see in the New Testament in the book of Acts, you and I have access to through the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. It's amazing. It's amazing. When we are weak, he shares his strength with us. And the third thing we see is that God is present. It says that God is very present, uh, a very present help in trouble. So what he's saying is that when the people of God struggle, he's there. When life is good, God is there. But when life is bad, God is there. When you feel alone, God is there. When you feel forgotten, God is there with you. Paul David Tripp would talk like this. He would say, most of us picture God as far off. So uh, prayer doesn't always seem like it helps us because when we pray, we feel like God's a firefighter far away who has to kind of load up and get on his gear and load the truck up and drive over to us. And then maybe God will come and help us. But that's not how God is. He is with us presently. Whatever you're going through, God is with you. He's not far away, but he's present. So when you pray to him, when you call out to him, he's already there. I wonder how many times we walk through situations in life feeling like we're alone when the reality, reality is God is with us, walking with us, holding us. We are in his hands. We can find refuge in him. This is so cool. If you look at the first verse in the text, it's God, right? It says God is. Well, that word God is the same word in Hebrew used in Genesis 1-1, when it says, in the beginning, God created. So check this out. The same God who created the world is the same God who you find refuge in. The same God who spoke and with all his might created all the world is the same God who strengthens you. The same God who colored the night sky with stars and the moon and the sun, he's the same God that is present with you. The God of the universe watches after you. He watches after me. He watches after the people of God. Praise the Lord, right? God is with us, watching over us. This first verse in this psalm should comfort our souls so much. And notice how it says God is. It doesn't say God was or God will be or God might be or God used to be or we're unsure if God will be. No, he says God is. It's present tense. God is. He continually is all these things. He will always be your refuge, always be your strength. He will always be with you. We can think about all the characteristics of God that we love, right? His goodness, his love, his kindness, his justness. Think of those. Think, what is your favorite, right? 
And there's a, there's a phrase that I heard recently. It was, uh, don't meet your heroes. And I was looking that up and like, what does that mean? And basically it carries this idea of you probably shouldn't meet the people that you uh, admire from a distance. Because when you meet that celebrity or that athlete, you begin to realize that they're not all that they seem to be from a distance. That superstar athlete turns out to be a jerk. And that movie star that's your favorite of all time won't even look at you and speak to you. Often when we get close to the people that we really admire, we realize they're not all we thought they were, and they're not our heroes anymore. But God is not like that. The closer that we draw into God, the more and more we realize his perfection and stand in awe of it. Do you realize that? The more that we know God, the more that we know his love or his kindness, the more and more perfect he becomes. The bigger he becomes, greater he becomes. This is the God we serve. So no matter what the devil may try to do to get you to doubt whether God is truly your refuge and strength, you can take confidence in knowing he always is, always is with you, always looking after our troubled souls that need comfort. And notice in verse 2, he starts with therefore. He says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And he's saying, therefore, so in light of everything we just learned about God, on all these wonderful, unchanging truths about God, he's speaking this. He says, therefore, we should not fear. That's a, that's a bold statement, right? But he's saying, therefore, in light of who God is, you and I should not fear. Why should we fear if the unchanging God of the universe is on our side? Why should we fear if he is holding us into, our, into his hands? We need not fear, not because of our own ability, not because of our strength, not because of our knowledge or our ability to kind of pull ourselves up and make us look good. No, it's him. Our lack of fear is due to who God is, not who we are, not our strength, not our ability, but it's all in him. So when we fear, typically it's because we're relying on ourselves and not the mighty God of the universe who is walking with us. This is beautiful. Look at verse 2. He's describing just the earth falling apart. It's very kind of poetic, and it paints a picture. You can close your eyes and just picture this. The mountains falling into the sea, the, the sea flooding over onto the land, the earth quaking. This sounds like the end of the world, right? Some apocalyptic movie starts out with this scene, right? And then the zombies come in. This is like the end of the world. The psalmist is describing some of the most worst chaotic things that you could ever go through in life the very earth falling apart yet he says we should not fear why because god is with us and he is bigger than even the most chaotic challenging circumstances that we could walk through the end of the world god is still bigger than that and people of god must not or should not fear and many of us listening to this right now it probably feels like the world is falling in on you right it probably feels like the mountains are crashing in on your life. You feel like you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You're struggling, and that's okay. Most of us, if not all of us, are. Some of us are walking through seasons of life that are breaking our hearts, that are stretching us thin, that are wearing us down. My prayer and my hope is this, that God would meet us and we would dwell with him. That we would dwell with our refuge. That we would rest in the arms of the Father who is here for us. And you might say, man, <laughs> that's so easy to say, but so hard to do. And I would say, of course it is. 
It is so easy to, to speak, yes, I should trust God, but when life gets hard, it is so hard to trust him. It gets difficult. That's our human nature. That's our emotions. And when I was thinking of this, I was like, so what do we do with that? We're told to trust, but it's hard to. And I was reminded of Mark 9, 24. And in this story, you see Jesus is healing a boy who's been possessed by a demon. And before he heals him, he goes to his father and he says, anything is possible with faith. And the father responds to Jesus. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. I think many of us are probably in a similar situation. We say, God, I know you're my refuge. I know you're my strength. I know you're with me, but help the part of me that doesn't believe that. Help the part of my heart and my mind that doesn't rest in that. And so for us today, we can relate to the Father. We say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. May the Spirit of God comfort our hearts with these words. That it's okay to be in a state where we don't fully believe, but we know we should, and we cry out to God for his strength to help us believe, right? That's the passage already working. For those of you who are doubting this or not trusting in this, cry out to God for strength. The world may be falling apart around you, but you have the ability to fall into the arms of God and be comforted and be safe and secure in our refuge and as we move through the text, we see that it continues to uh, just talk about different circumstances. And what we'll see next is that God is the protector of our city. And you'll, you'll understand that in just a second. Verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. It starts, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. He goes on to say, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her. When the morning dawns. So this is talking about the city of God, which would have meant the city of Jerusalem in the Old Testament. This is where the writers were. They were talking about God uh, protecting the city. The psalmist is declaring that the city of Jerusalem is protected by God, which is awesome to think about. He's saying we don't have to worry because God is looking after us, because God is protecting us. It talks about this river that's flowing in, and in these ancient times, a city would be able to withstand an attack from a foreign enemy if they had a source of water running through the river, because water meant life, right? If you were to cut off the source of water, you would only have to wait out the city uh, a few days before they would become dehydrated and unable to protect themselves. But the psalmist is saying that God was sustaining them through this source of water, and another writer would say this, who say the water was just God's help and his mercy and his grace to the city of Jerusalem. And they were able to withstand attacks because God was in the midst of her. God was on her side. So no foreign enemy could overtake this city. And I love this in verse 5 when it says God will help her in the morning. These words, this is beautiful, echoes back to Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. Which was the greatest moment of deliverance for the Israelites, right? free from slavery, the Egyptian army covered in water. Listen to what it says. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. You see, the people of God in the Old Testament had a promise that God would protect them and would grow them and sustain them, and they knew that. So in this psalm, they're celebrating that and worshiping that. But one commentator would say this, that this book of Psalms and really Psalm 46 takes a new meaning in light of the New Testament. 
when it mentions the city of God, it's no longer talking about Old Testament Jerusalem, modern-day Jerusalem, some city in America or another country. No, it's talking about a heavenly Jerusalem that the New Testament talks about. Hebrews says this in uh, chapter 12, but you have come to the Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Charles Spurgeon would point out that this is no longer for Old Testament Jerusalem, but for the New Testament church, for you and for me, if you are in the body of Christ. When this psalm mentions the city of God, it speaks to the church and it lays our eyes on the future hope that we have of being in a heavenly city with God forever and ever and ever. And so now when it speaks of the nations raging and the attacks on the city, it's no longer talking about Jerusalem, but talking about the attacks that the church has faced for the past 2,000 years. We think of persecution that has been so present in our church and uh, over the years, right? Christians being beheaded and killed and stoned and crucified for years and years and years. Why? For just being Christians. We know that the church in America today faces many attacks, right? We face the attacks of secularism and division. We face the attacks of Satan and his demons. We face so many different temptations, so many different attacks at the church of Christ. You and I, as individual members of the body, face all sorts of attacks from our sin to anxiety, from hardship to fill in the blank, whatever you're going through. We face attacks and situations that are used or trying to be used to pull us away from God. But it's beautiful what this psalm tells us. It says in all of this, God is in control and he is protecting his church. Though the nations may be raging in wickedness and deceit, God is upholding his church. That's why 2,000 years later, the church is still standing after all the persecution they went through when Christ first died and raised. That's why the church is still growing. That's why there's been millions and millions and millions of Christians. Because God is protecting his church. God is protecting you. And in verse 7, he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We could pass right over that without realizing the significance of the Lord of hosts. You could translate that the Lord of armies. You say, well, what armies does God have? He has angel armies. He has armies and armies and armies full of angels. And angels are no joke, right? Read in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, what angels are able to do. They are not someone you want to mess with. And so he's saying the God of angel armies is on your side and it's on my side. The Lord of hosts is protecting his church. So as we look at the evil and the struggle that we face in this world, we say the God of angel armies is on my side. He's on your side. He's protecting his church. It's beautiful. I think of Jesus' words when he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. Nothing will stop the church of Jesus Christ from growing and from pushing on, accomplishing God's plan and as I think of this, I was thinking on this passage, and this kind of moves from biblical exposition to just kind of my personal opinion on the text. And what I think we see here is the way God values the church. We see the way he looks at it, right? He protects it. He stands in it. He looks after it. He'll do anything for it, right? Has his angels' armies on its side. And I think about the way we often view church in kind of a take-it-or-leave-it standpoint, Right? Like, we might be in church for a few years, and then we'll just kind of take a few-year break and come back, or we might come once a month or a few times a year, but it's just the church. Like, I'm good without it, but that's not how God views it. 
He protects it. He looks after it. He cares for it. It's important to him. And I wonder what would change, especially here in our church, if we would begin to look at the church of Jesus Christ like that. If we cared for it, if we valued it, if we viewed it as precious as God views it. Church is a beautiful establishment that we should delight in and uh, serve and uh, love and protect. I'm thankful that God looks after his church. And as we look at the last point in the last stanza from this psalm, we see this. That God is the ruler of the world. So far, God has been speaking to his people, right? To us, telling us he's our refuge, and to the church, to his city. But here he turns to those who are troublemakers, to those who are evildoers. His uh, focus shifts, but at the same time, it still encourages the people of God. And I love this section. Listen to this. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns the chariots with fire. Derek Kinder points out this. This is a vision of things to finally come, although victories of the present are a foretaste of them. I love what he's saying. This section of the psalm is mainly looking forward to the end, right? But we do get to taste it. But we know that one day God will bring about perfect peace through judgment. One day God will do away with all that which is wicked, all that which is sinful. Spurgeon says this, God crushes the great powers till they cannot provoke strife again. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. There will be a day when there is no more evil and the people of God enjoy perfect peace in the city of God. Amen? I look forward to that day where there will be no more pain, no more tears, no more fighting, no more schemes of the enemy, no more attacks, just perfect peace with God. Spurgeon poses the question, he says, when will this universal peace be celebrated? He's longing for it, and the answer is this, when King Jesus returns. At the return of Jesus, evil will be destroyed for once and for all. Wickedness will be done away with. Evildoers will be cast into the lake of fire. The devil will be disarmed. He will have no more power. It will be God reigning supreme. It will be beautiful. Christ in all his glory, holiness, might, and power will come in and do away with evil and establish his city and gather God's people. And I hear so many people these days, so many, especially young people, but it really, it's everyone saying, oh man, I serve a God of love. My God would never judge. He's just love. My God would never have wrath. He's just full of love and mercy. And that phrase, that way of thinking, makes such a mockery of God. It strips God of his beauty and his uniqueness and his characteristics. It strips the Bible of so many of its teachings. We should delight and stand in awe that one day Christ Jesus will come back and he will judge that which is evil. One day, all the wickedness that has been committed in this earth will be dealt with. I think of the Christians who lose their life every single day for just being a Christian. That will be dealt with. I think of all the evil things, the sexual corruptness that we see in our world, the secularism, the racism, the hatred. Satan himself will be dealt with by God. And we can delight in that, and we can rest in that, and worship that one day all of evil will be defeated. Derek Kinder would say this again, peace will come through 
judgment. Don't get me wrong. We serve a God who is rich in love, and we see that in the cross. But we also serve a God who is rich in holiness and justness, and we see that in his future judgment that we will celebrate in. Because if you are in the body, the blood of Jesus Christ has covered you, and you need not fear his judgment. But you can celebrate in his return as he calls you home. This is what we all long for, the heavenly city of God where there is no more pain. This is probably what many of you are longing for right now. I was just talking with a church member before the service, and he was kind of saying, you know what? I could kind of go for my heavenly body right about now, my glorified body. I'm kind of ready for that, but I guess there's something I need to do. I thought that was so cool and such a good outlook on things. We see verse 10, there's a shift. God begins to speak, and he says this, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And we, we misuse this text quite a lot, right? We put it on our coffee mugs. We hang it on our wall. We might tattoo it on our ankle, right? Because God's talking to us. Be still. But that's not really who he's talking to. He's talking to the nations that are raging. I think a better translation for this that you see in some other translations of the Bible is this. Stop your fighting. God is speaking to the wicked nations, and with his voice, he calms their chaos, right? At the return of Jesus, everything will be silenced, all the evil. Philippians 2 says this, so at the name of Jesus, every single knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is speaking to those who are evildoers. He's speaking to Satan himself and saying, stop. I am God. You are not. And the people of God can delight in that. Are you overwhelmed by the evil in this world? Do you ever just stop and say, oh my gosh, how did we get here? How are these things allowed to go on? Well, don't worry and don't fear because God will take care of it one day. And that doesn't remove our responsibility to be good citizens and to advocate for those who need to be advocated for. But ultimately, we can rest in the fact that God will take care of business. And he will do away with evil. It's beautiful. And quickly, before we close, I just want to give a chance to those who are not Christians. To those who haven't placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I would love to give you a chance to walk out of God's wrath this morning and into his mercies. I would love to give you a chance to walk out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Because we know this from the Bible, that God will deal with all sin, and he'll deal with it in two ways. One, his future judgment that we've talked about, and two, through the cross of Jesus Christ. And every single person will kind of be separated into two groups, right? Those who have the blood of Jesus Christ that has covered them through the gospel, and those who have not. The only way to escape the judgment and the wrath of God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. The gospel is a beautiful message that God was well within his right to judge us, to condemn us, but he didn't. He sent his son to love us, to die for us. Jesus Christ on the cross took our punishment for our sin. He died, he was buried, and then he was resurrected, conquering death, conquering sin, so you and I could live forever free of judgment. You say, that sounds scandalous. It is. It's beautiful. God sent his son for you and I so we would not have to deal with God's wrath and be separated from him forever. I don't want to scare you or manipulate you. I say that out of truth and love. God loves you and he sent his son. He has made a way for those who are evil to be made good. 
did it out of love. And I would encourage you in the next few moments as we sing and as we praise God, if that's you and you want to make a decision, you want to say, hey, I, I am not following the Lord. I am stuck in that evil, stuck in that darkness. I would love for you to talk to me or someone else in the room. And as we turn to the, the life application, I've got to be honest, I struggled with this section uh, a lot. I was like, how do I wrap this up? How do I end this? Should I repeat everything I said? Uh, what should I do? Should I find a good quote? And I, I was really stuck, and I was thinking, I came to this question, and you won't really see anything written on the screen like we normally do, just a question. What is going to be the biggest challenge for the people of God as they live out this text? What will be your biggest challenge as you seek to live out the truths of Psalm 46? And I was thinking, and I was reading a devotional on this, and it said this. It said, Christians should be the most fearless people on the face of the earth. Christians should be the most fearless people on the face of the earth. If only we would recognize the profound truth that God is our refuge and strength, who is always ready to help us in our most dire times of crisis. Wow, that's good. That sounds right. Another pastor said this, the chaos around you should not override the calm that is within you. I said, wow, that's really, really good as well. Maybe I could use those. But I was thinking, we know that, but why is it? that it's really hard to trust God. Why is it that we know that, right? We know we should be fearless. We know that when trials come our way, we should trust and we should not doubt. But human emotions kind of take over. I've gone through seasons of stress and kind of freak out. And you would have looked at me in those seasons and been like, man, he's not finding his refuge in God. But I knew, I knew this text. I knew other texts that say to trust in God, but yet I didn't. In fact, in some times in my life, you would have looked at me and said, wow, he needs a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I was acting as like an unbeliever would act. It's hard. Trusting God can be difficult. When hardship truly comes, it tests our faith. So I think the hardest thing for us as we live this out will just be trusting that these words are true and living through them. So I think what we need to do this morning is fight against our doubts and insecurity. I think we need to fight against the devil, the father of lies. I think in these next few moments, we need to cry out to God and ask him to give us strength to trust him. So that when we walk out of these doors and the life circumstances hit us in the face again, when things start feeling like they're falling down on us, we can trust in him. I think of Martin Luther and how crucial this psalm was for his life. He continually went back to it, continually looked for strength and encouragement from it. He didn't pick up Psalm 46 once, read it, and never struggle with fear, never doubt God. No, he turned to this psalm over and over and over again to encourage him, to strengthen him. And I can't help but think that's what we will need to do as we walk away from this. Because we will continue to struggle, continue to face emotions of doubt and insecurity and anxiety. We'll continually need to turn to the Lord in prayer and to his word and seek his face. And he's here with us. He's our refuge. He's our strength. You will be able to find him, but you have to seek him. So as the band comes up, I ask them to sing Great is Thy Faithfulness uh, one more time for us. So as in response to the preaching and teaching and reading of God's word, we can sing, right? I think it's important to sing in response to God's word. So I think there's many different things that you and I will need to do. 
But what this will do is provide an opportunity for us. Some of us need to fight doubt and insecurity. So as you sing, you're singing with those doubts and insecurities. So as you sing, great is thy faithfulness, you're trying to overcome that doubt that's already building up inside of you. Some of you in these next few moments will just need to proclaim these truths over your life. Just saying, great is thy faithfulness. Your word never fails. Some of us, just as a church body here and online, need to sing out louder than the lies of the enemy that are already chirping in your ear. God is faithful. Church, let us sing in response to the truth of God's word. Let's pray. God, you are so kind to us to have given us your word, to have given us your spirit so that we may understand your word. God, thank you for Psalm 46 and how it steps into our brokenness and our pain and our suffering and it comforts us. I know many in here are struggling with a variety of difficulties. I know there might be many in here who feel like they're at the end of their rope. They've been stretched thin. God, would you minister to them? Would you do what only you can? Would you help their broken heart? Would you uplift their burdened soul? God, as we sing as a church in response to your word, let us sing loudly, let us sing boldly, let us proclaim these truths. Work them into our hearts and our minds so that we might know them truly. God, be with us in these next few moments. Minister to us. God, we thank you and praise you. As we sing, you can stand and whether you need to come down to the altar and just praise the Lord, whether you need to stay in your seat and pray, whatever you need to do, do that in these next few moments. Let us worship the Lord. Spin. 